Not ready? Too bad. Face forward, head back, and hold on like you mean it! Welcome to Review Time's Theme Parkcast. This is a weekly show where we discuss the ins and outs of attractions and theme parks from around the world. This week we're continuing our discussion of the wonderful world of Universal Studios. So if you haven't listened to the first part, definitely go back and have a look. You don't really need to. We're going to be discussing the sort of second part of the park, which includes Jurassic Park, Waterworld and Universal Wonderland, including the very acclaimed Harry Potter Wizarding World world, but if you want to go back and hear more about the other side of the theme park, definitely go back and check that out. But before we get on to that, I need to introduce the man who thought that space fantasy living in Sydney was the luxury of owning a large square footage apartment. It's <gasps> review time's oh. theme park. Wow, you got to it. It was a, a stumble at the final hurdle Sorry. there. It was like watching the Olympics and seeing someone who's running for that gold medal guaranteed and they just fly club at the last minute but their hand just crosses the line and they still get the gold they still finish they finish strong see i feel the problem is that most weeks people must tune in and be like oh no dom's hosting so we know that like luke actually seems to pay attention with his intros dom just seems to get up there and wing it on the fly uh, which that, is that true fresh, <laughs> you know keeps it fresh back and forth who knows what it's gonna be literally I'm, I'm we running. were we were going yeah. through the map and we're like, oh, we need to come up with some sort of pun. Um, uh, uh, jaws, um, jaw breakers, yeah, uh, so Jur- Jurassic Park. Uh, we're probably, you know, 40 seconds into this episode. We're eight minutes into this recording. So that shows you how long we tried to bounce around ideas. And the best one was Space Fantasy Big Apartment. That was eight minutes of work to come up with that. And you need to understand the context that Sydney's very expensive, so you don't get a lot of... There's, it's a multi-layered joke, people. It's very yeah. good. Just trust For one me. person out there who's the perfect audience member for that joke, they are still wetting themselves laughing. <laughs> like, is, that's how good it is. There's someone out there who's just like... <laughs> yes, Sydney is expensive. Very good <laughs> <Indeed>. boys. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> so today we're discussing the other half of uh, Universal Studios at Osaka. We're going to be going over Jurassic Park. What the best half. Too. Yeah. We this is of, sort of, it's the more without, themed half. Yeah. So the, the first, the left-hand half that we did last week, that's kind of the part where it's like, hey, we're a studio park. We mm. can have these big boxes. We can have these with attractions in them. We're a studio park. Where the other half more feels like, you know, a Universal Islands of Adventure where it's like, these lands are actually themed. It kind of feels like an interesting amalgamation of that, doesn't it? Like it, it's mm. you go over to this right hand side and it's suddenly like, look at all of this intense theming. Whereas the other yeah. side is just like, hey, this is 2D flats and you're in a, a studio. Enjoy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I feel like it. it is definitely from the point like it's it's clear cut. It's not like they start to fade into each. Like it goes, you're in Jaws, you're in Amity, enjoy. Or you're in Jurassic Park, you're in there, just go. (laughs) Yeah. And I made a a mistake last week. I better clear it up before. It was a mistake I caught myself out for, so nobody caught me out for it. I said uh, in last week's episode that Spider-Man opened in 2001, 
and it would be the 20 year, you know, of the licensing coming up this year. Mm. I was wrong. The park opened in 2001. And as soon as I heard myself say it, I'm like, I'm an idiot. Park, uh, park opens 2001. Spider-Man The Ride opens 2004. So we've still ah. got a few years until we'll find out whether that rumor of a 20 year exclusivity for the license is true and whether it becomes Pokemon or something that we chatted a little bit more detail about last week. Luke, I'm just going to quickly have to uh, stop the recording here. Um, mm, you do realize fair. that that brings your theme park um, expert license mm. into question. Um, Disney <laughs> and Universal hold us to a very strict if esteem. You, if, <laughs> if you catch me once, you know how I catch you out? If you catch mm. me once more, that's it. That's true. I'm done. I have to I, hand in the card. I get That's an unlimited it. pass um, because I pay a lot of money to Disney. Like, you know how Bob Chapek sold his $10 million home to move yeah. uh, closer to where Disney is? Um, I gave him that house um, out oh, of the wow. goodwill. You know, YouTube oh, in the you, early yeah. days. You have the brand new Express Genie plus, plus, plus. <laughs> 360 degree ticket. Yeah. I'm with good. magic access key. With the key lightning experience <laughs> lane plus Disney Imagineer special. Uh, chuck the word wish in there. Chuck the word dream fast pass in there. There we go. That's what you've got. You can date this episode without even looking at it if you listen to this sometime in the future because we're riffing on lightning lane and. Th- saying how bad of an idea it is. But we'll get to that in a different episode. This is universal because if we well, stick on that subject, we're going to get we, cranky. You know, I don't think people think we've recorded these like five years ago and we're slowly just <laughs> bringing them out. You know? we, we preemptively recorded these 10 years ago and we're just sort of <laughs> making up for it. What's a universal studio's part? <laughs> if we start talking about, you know, the newest attraction at this park is Jaws or something. Then you'll be like, hmm, this doesn't seem quite right. Wait a minute. Well, do we want to jump in? We finished off in San Francisco last yeah, week. Keep up. Walking around the kind of lake, but the lake here is quite small compared mm. to some of the other parks. But there's a, a kind of a lake, so let's keep going around. So we've done our backdraft. We've gone to the San Francisco area, and we're going into one of the best, my favorite parts of the park Jurassic Park which now has two attractions, mm. a really good one and one that's good or bad, depending on the time of day that you De- write. Depending on whether you're Dom Lacey. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess for context, like uh, we'll quickly discuss, this is the Jurassic Park area uh, of Universal Studios Osaka. So you can really sort of get that feel for it. It's really lush. It's got that strange sort of, I wouldn't even know what you would call the theme of the original Jurassic. Yeah, it's like rainforest safari yeah. kind of themed. Uh, You've got the big gates, but you've yeah. also now got the addition in in recent years of a flying roller coaster, yeah. which I will say is a very, well, for me, a very strange addition in what I would consider like a triple A theme park. Like this is very really intense. Velocicoaster, I feel. Mm. From what I'm hearing, this is pretty much Velocicoaster where people are like, I don't expect something this thrilling at, you know, a Disney or a Universal Park. Not necessarily complaining, but it is a strange inclusion. And I think the weirdest part for Flying Dinosaur here is it kind of ruined the theming of the land in some areas. 
because there's nets everywhere now, which really, like, when you've got the classic Jurassic Park gates and the music's playing and the flame torches are there, you can't get a nice picture of it because there's nets all above you in that section. It's quite strange. It's also got the, like, the difference being with Velocicoaster is that that's quite a heavily themed experience. You, The whole yeah. thing where they're like, oh, we're actually going to take you through the uh, Velociraptor enclosure, which is, look, Jurassic World, that's a stupid idea. Um, that's it's like, about- <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like having an attraction which... Imagine at Animal Kingdom, all right, guys, we are now going to have a uh, blitz coaster that takes you through the lion enclosure right next to them. They're going to slash (laughs) at your face, but it's part of the experience. Uh, Flying Dinosaur is sort of, it doesn't have any theming. It just kind of is there, which is kind of why it's weird. It has a dinosaur in the train, uh, and the the queue space is very non-existent. It's Mm. pretty much switchbacks. The station building is very lightly themed. Yeah. But that's pretty much it. The crazy thing about this ride is just how interwoven it is with the Jurassic Park land. Mm. It's insane how they essentially just fit this coaster in the land that already existed. So it goes, you know, around the Discovery Center. It goes above the queue for Jurassic Park, the ride. It goes to like a, you know, a part out the back and then comes back it does some rolls near the water like it's impressive how they managed to fit this in mm. it's an insane coaster i remember we sort of had the privilege as we were saying we flew into japan and then we went straight to our hotel and i remember to get to our hotel we had to get off at the train station that would usually take you to Universal Studios, but then we sort of, like, had to walk around the perimeter, which was really cool because, like, I had been to the park at that point. I don't believe you had ever been to Universal Studios Osaka. That was my first viewing, yeah. (laughs) So we kind of got, like, this interesting backstage perspective of the theme park, and from what I had experienced, I was able to pick things together. Flying Dinosaur was something that I didn't do the first time I went. I'm... Kind of not even sure if it was open in 2015. When yeah. did it actually open? Uh, it would be a, around that time. Mm. I'm not sure. But, but it's it's one of those it's one weird of the things. things in the park, that's for sure. Yeah, it's. I guess the reason why we don't expect these sort of things to be at Disney and at Universal is because the theming sort of makes up for the need for intense thrills. So that's why it, it kind of stands out. And it's this weird yeah. thing where it's a good coaster, but it's also kind of like, why is this in this park? <laughs> yeah. so. I remember as well with what you were saying when we were walking. There was literally a part where we were walking to our hotel and it was like, oh, there's the ride. Yeah. Like there was, there's a it's gate like- to try and get into the park essentially for, you know, backstage, cast access and stuff like that. But there's just the ride was there. You could clearly see there was no form of, you know, berm or anything blocking it off. It was like, oh, there's the queue. Imagine like a sheer wall, like a sheer concrete two-story wall, and then on top of that is just this gigantic roller coaster. That's what it was like. It was really insane. But the other thing about this land, like I'm not a huge fan of flying coasters. I um, personally don't enjoy them. They make me sick. So (laughs) I know you've experienced some, which you say are good. I like all of them. The reason I think you don't like this one, and I'll agree the time I went with you, I didn't feel great. Mm. Because this ride's really intense, and for some reason, we were like, 
well, this is at the back of the park. We've we've done our research. We know that you should go towards the back of the park and work your way forward because mm. most guests will do the opposite. And we literally will, we crunch the numbers and we're like, okay, the furthest ride back is Flying Dinosaur, essentially. Looked at wait times from the time before. It's like, oh, Spider-Man's about the same distance as is Jurassic Park, but those don't get crazy weights. But Flying Dinosaur can see, you know, hour plus weights every day of the week because it's still yeah. relatively new. So we rushed to it. We were on, you know, the probably fourth or fifth train of the day. Yeah, it was a super quick run. That was at like 8.20 in the morning. We hadn't eaten anything. We hadn't had a coffee. We hadn't had breakfast. We hadn't had anything like that. And usually you'd think, oh, yeah, ride a ride on an empty stomach. When you've just traveled for, you know, 16 hours the day before, you're jet lagged, you get up. And the first thing you do is, you know, a gut cruncher. You're probably going to feel it. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm just going to throw that suggestion out there for people who are planning to go to uh, Japan to do both Universal and Disney. Just fly into Osaka and fly out of Tokyo. It's not hard yeah. to arrange. <laughs> yeah. Two times I've done it. Like the second time was okay. Mm. But the time we went, it was stressful to just you know, travel to travel to travel. I did it again the second time. I don't know why it was less stressful because I technically Mm. flew further. I flew from Australia to Tokyo. Mm. And then there was a huge storm that night and we almost didn't make it to Osaka. Oh, wow. We got the last train of the night from Osaka, the like Osaka station to the Universal station, which is where our hotel was. And if we hadn't made that, we had no idea how to get, like, how we would have got there. So, thankfully, we did. And it was torrential rain that night. And then the, the next day, we were in Osaka. It was so wet, like, the city just decided to shut down. Oh. We, we like, struggled to find anywhere to eat. We had booked, like, a tour of the city that got cancelled. Mm. We literally... Which is a very Luke Carroll thing to do. We ended up spending most of our day in an arcade because <laughs> it was like one of the few things open. Good. This is very good. Mm. The um, One of the things I remember speaking of something to eat. So uh, Universal Studios, traditionally they have city walks. Universal Osaka is none the different. They have a city walk. I remember us eating at TGI Fridays. I have. I remember where we stayed the night before. I have no idea what we did after Universal Studios. I we feel went like straight back. We went back to, to Tokyo. Japan. To Tokyo. Oh, yeah. we were dumb. <laughs> no, sorry, that's wrong. I'm an idiot. We didn't Luke, go straight back. That's my job. I, uh, no, now I had to give out my card. Oh. We we had two nights in Osaka, and then the next day we got up at bums o'clock in the morning because we caught a train. To go to Nagashima Spa Land. That's right. Yeah. And then that day, we did another classic, which is we essentially took a, a stopover on our day travel mm. and went to a theme park. Have we done a podcast episode on Nagashima Spa Land? Yep. Yes. I remember I came to you recently once and I was like, oh, we should do an episode on Movie World. And you were like, Dom, we we yes. did that like a couple <laughs> of weeks ago. We should. So much so that we did. Oh, geez. Um, so one of the other things thing- for hmm. Jurassic Park that I was going to say, I haven't experienced Jurassic Park the ride. Literally every time I've been, it's been closed. Was it closed when we were there? 
It was closed uh, when we were there. So I which have Which is a visited... logical thing to close in the height of the summer. Yeah, and both times. Both times I have been during summer and both times I've had this where it's just been closed. So I've never Weird. experienced this version of Jurassic Park the ride. Uh, I have. I like it. I like Jurassic Park the ride. So I really <laughs> like this. I can't off the top of my head really picture any differences no from what i, I know think, it's it's oh no, very there's similar a weird difference the ride is back to front huh so when you step into most jurassic park the rides you sit on your boat and it goes to the right of the station universal studios japan it goes to the left well that's just crazy talk luke I, just, I think that's the only difference. I don't know why that's the case, but you do. Uh, and I'm, it's still the one where, you know, you go up and over the classic Jurassic Park and you go around the corner and the gates open. Mm. It's just the, the traditional Jurassic Park, the ride. Yeah, there's not too much that I can say about it either. I've looked up um, videos of it just to see if it was anything different. And I'm like, oh, it's just Hollywood. Now, the cool thing is, actually, in saying that, Hollywood is now updated to Jurassic World, the yeah. ride. So this is kind of the last surviving iteration uh, of this attraction. The same. This oh, is, Orlando. Yeah. So the big difference between uh, the, the only real difference I can think of between the original Hollywood one and this one slash the Orlando one is the um, falling car effect. Yeah. That used to be exclusive to Universal Studios Hollywood, uh, but I'm pretty sure this one also has the box. You know, uh, the yeah. like shaking box, which is the same as the Orlando one. The box that uh, as you go under it, instead of the car that falls down, it just sort of like falls towards you as your boat goes under yeah. it. Yeah. It like shakes and then falls and gives you a bit of a spook. Um, <laughs> When we were there, they also had something the second time I was there that wasn't there the time before, which was a like meet the character, meet dinosaur show. Huh. So most of these parks have, you know, raptor encounter where you can meet blue or just a generic velociraptor. Mm. But this one had essentially that with extra characters. There was like a baby triceratops. It was like a stegosaurus that was like a giant costume with multiple people in it. There was some raptors. There was like a, pu you know, the kind of dinosaur puppets where it looks like they're holding and it comes oh, to life like in an their egg. Hands. Yep, yep. Yeah. And there was, you know, five or six dinosaurs. It was just, you just stand there. They come up, you get to pat them and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, this is cool. They have and that it, now. It was with... one of those, it just happened outside the Discovery Center. Huh. I know yeah. they have that with the Triceratops. At Universal Studios to. Hollywood, the tri uh, the Triceratops would come out and like stomp out yeah, and just sort of hang out. Um, I've seen videos yeah, of it, same sort of thing. Um, which yeah, that's cool. Yeah. You would have loved that, I'm sure. This is you know doesn't have anything you wouldn't expect in Jurassic Park. It's got a Discovery Center, which I'm pretty sure here is a restaurant instead of being you know come and look at stuff. Yeah, so. There's a couple of shops in here. Like, in terms of attractions, this probably has the most attractions per land, but it's real tight land. Like, it's probably, you know, 500 meters of walkable space, and then you're out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And whereas through that most whole of them, space is the coaster. <laughs> like, yeah. it's wrapping around every walkway above you. So the land is just constant you know, screaming of guests essentially from <laughs> the big drop of Jurassic Park, the ride 
end the insanity that is flying coast uh, flying dinosaur. Mm. And I believe it's it's once you exit Jurassic Park, like the actual land, there's a little sort of fork. You can go one way and that takes you towards Jaws, which we'll talk about in a moment. But then you can go the other way and that takes you to probably one of my favorite theme park shows of all time. I think you give this a lot Mm. of praise as well. And that is the One Piece Splash Show. Yeah. And then if you go a little bit further. One Piece Get Drenched, I think. Amazing. Spectacular. (laughs) If you go a little bit further, you then get to Waterworld. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> which Waterworld, I've said it a thousand times, the best theme park show based off the worst movie. Yeah. Like, I don't think there's ever any other attraction that's taken such a air IP and made it so cool. Even, like, I do wonder if there's people out there in the world who've missed out on this show because they're like, Waterworld, yuck. I hated mm. that movie. Or that was boring. Because they're missing out on, yeah, what is, in my opinion, probably the best theme park stunt show in the world yeah it's one of those ones that it has just become a staple of every universal studios like it's everywhere beijing is getting this attraction yeah Uh, even though you know hasn't even opened yet and it's getting water world (laughs) even though this ip as you said is very old and not very good yeah (laughs) but you haven't seen the movie don't yeah. Just go and see go and see the stunt show. It's like the movie I don't even know I don't even think it really follows the same story. Kind of. Kind There's of like one a couple of characters that are the same, but they just kind of do their own thing. Thing here is you have to get here, I would say, earlier than you would at, say, Universal Studios Hollywood for this attraction. You can kind of rock up to Hollywood 20 minutes before and still get a really good seat. Here, I think we were kind of 45 minutes to an hour before the show. Yeah. Yeah, so we we had to get here quite early, and I remember the line being gigantic. So there are switchbacks taking you all the way into the actual theatre itself. The fun thing is, though, once they actually start letting you in, it is one of those living theatre sort of feelings. So, like, there are actors who are running around, and they're spraying people with water and doing all of this fun stuff. So five or so rows. You will get drenched. you don't want to get wet. Like, and that's just not like, ah, you get a little bit of a splash. You get a little bit of a spritz. That is a, you will get a bucket of water chucked on top of you. You may get wet. You (laughs) will get soaked. (laughs) I am, I think, Waterworld's hard to talk about because it is one of those shows that if you watch it, it's great. But it's one of those ones which it's like, yeah, when you're talking about Phantasmic or something like that, part of the fun of Phantasmic, you've got the amazing soundtrack and the fireworks yeah. and it ramps up in that theatre space. So it's got that really high energy. This is very similar. It's got really high energy and yeah. it's got some really cool practical effects. And I think that's sort of what makes it so enjoyable. But there's, yeah. no, there's no one screens, element. There's no- there's no, there's none of that. All right, guys, we're going to show you how the stunts are done on the mm. movies. It's just 20 minutes, storyline, stunts, carry on. If you're going to talk about one spectacle moment, it would be the plane. The I plane, think. yeah. A full-size plane kind of gets slung shot almost onto set. Slung and just shot. Lands in the, yeah. <laughs> the, the past, past tense, tense of shot. <laughs> <laughs> uh it like lands in the water, it's on fire, 
you know, then there's big explosions everywhere. That's probably the standout moment. Mm. And I remember the first time I saw that when I was eight years old, I still remember being wowed by that moment. Oh, every time stuck in my mind yeah like i'll go and see this show and every time you sort of just anticipate that moment and it always seems to come out at a random time for some reason like you can never sort of like, anticipate you know it. when it is i have some really cool photos of it mm-hmm. because i've there, there was a stage where i think in like a two-year 24 month period i've seen this show on three different trips to universal parks around the world so it gets to you can kind of hear it Uh, it's harder in the japanese one because they speak in japanese but there's like you can hear them be like hey what are they doing with my plane the the bald guy Uh, he says that and then you can hear like a sound of a plane and then you know 10 seconds later it shoots over yeah because it like jumps down and then starts Mm. shooting i believe like it's spinning around and if you get if you've got a phone that you can just take burst mode when you hear that, just get it ready and just hold the button <laughs> tick, tick, and you'll tick, tick. get a sick shot for Instagram. <laughs> and now you actually get a background of uh, right behind this, I believe, is Nintendo World. Yeah. Which we're not talking about. <laughs> no. Apparently, you can just see the Mushroom Kingdom Hills. Yeah. Which kind of like, re- defeats the purpose of the, you know, water world is about a land where there's only water. <laughs> well, That's I believe kinda, that... There's no... What's it called? It's the Waterworld land is called something very silly. Like, you know. Uh, I know what called, you're talking about. Like yeah, Oasis land or something ridiculous like that. Or like, you know, freedom waters or something. It's called something <laughs> ridiculous. Well, I read. And- so for those that don't know, like the premise of Waterworld, the movie is it's like, and I think they literally say this at the beginning of the show. So me explaining it. will not change it but it's like it's a world where i think the ice caps have melted and everything's underwater but they've Mm -hmm. recently found a map which leads to land Uh, yes Uh, uh, i i was giving it too much credit uh the name of the 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 land is called dry land ah I see. <laughs> the op- <what's- laughs> so this movie's called Waterworld. What's the opposite of Water World? Dry, Dry uh, land. land. There we go. <laughs> Disney World, Disneyland. They're the difference, right? They're good enough. <laughs> Slap it on. We'll get some sales, baby. <laughs> I remember, though, if you, like, sit in certain areas, even though, like, I know a lot of people complain about Nintendo World sort of ruining the illusion of Waterworld, but if I remember correctly, I'm fairly certain the warehouse that the Wizarding World of Harry Potter hangs out in, you can also see the backside of it as well, like the big cream building. <laughs> yeah, I think, I'm pretty sure this version's very much that, like, oh, if you get the perfect view... You'll be fine. Mm. Oh, you're kind of off to an extremity on one side or the other. Okay, you'll probably see something you shouldn't. Yeah. Because this was, you know, when this was constructed, this was the very back of the park. Yeah. And since then, they've built Harry Potter and Mario in that sort of section. So mm. this, yeah, those came later. But yeah, Waterworld. Amazing show. Hollywood, Singapore, Beijing or Japan. Highly recommended. Great way to get off your feet for an hour as well. 
So once you exit Waterworld, which is funny because the area of Waterworld which features the Waterworld attraction is called Waterworld. Uh, once you leave there, the you land then head and the only <laughs> attraction within it have the same name. Well, interestingly enough, um, oh no, sorry, I I was looking at the map and I thought for a section uh, for a second that Amity Village was in San Francisco, but it's actually its own area. So all of yeah. these are sort of like little lands, or as we call them in Australia, precincts. Um, oh, no <laughs> lands, please. So once you exit Waterworld, you're then in the Jaws precinct, yeah. which is <laughs> Amity Village. Sorry, it's a more of an inside yeah. joke in Australia <laughs> where everything is just called precincts. We don't know why, but apparently that's just yeah. that's the thing that they like to do here. And I, I think the, the crazy thing about this is this Amity Island has jaws, obviously, but it's kind of just survived. Like, mm. everyone's like, oh, Harry Potter, that will surely go where Jaws is. Nah, we'll find some new space for that. Oh, Nintendo's coming. Bye-bye, Jaws. Bye-bye, Waterworld. Oh, no. Okay, that's also in its own space. <laughs> the expansion to Nintendo World, which is coming soon, is in its own new space as well. Like, it can't survive forever, but I'm so happy that it still survives to this day. I'm ne- I wasn't lucky enough to do the original Jaws, neither were you mm. uh, over at Universal Orlando. So this is the only version we've ever ridden. And it's great. I love this. <laughs> this is so I remember watching it was theme park review. They did a sort of finale video of the mm. last ever uh, journey on yeah, Jaws. The last public boat. Yeah. And kudos to the guy who was doing that uh, tour because he was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, but when we went on this, we had enough of the idea of the story and enough is sort of told through the experience that you can gauge what's going on. You can get a sense of that danger. And I think it kind of even added to it because we couldn't anticipate what was coming up. Yeah. It was kind of that thing where it was like... It was just like, you know, speaking, 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 massive shark jumps out. (laughs) You're like, oh, jeez. However, I do remember a very um, interesting part during this show where as we're going through the experience, you decide to pull out your phone and mm. to take some pictures in which then, you know, the girl who was doing the the entire sort of yeah, the tour, skipper she was of. speaking fluent Japanese and then just out of nowhere just goes, no photos, crosses her arms, bows, thank you, and then just continues yeah. her spear. Back to Japanese. <laughs> yeah. And you were like, oh, Like okay. seamless. Completely seamless. Yeah, like <laughs> she was mid-character, like yeah. just beat, 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 no photos, Thank you. Continue. Yeah. So- <laughs> Which is, you can't really take a photo on pretty much anything in this park, whether, you know, you could add other versions of it, uh, sort of thing like that. Yeah. Which to me is not necessarily a bad thing. It means that you are fully enveloped in this idea. You know, for us, yeah, sure, we like to get POVs because we make videos about theme parks. But for the everyday, you know, person who I see just filming, you know, here's me holding my phone in in portrait mode and filming, you know, some ride. Or I've seen people who like FaceTime each other. Like they'll be FaceTiming somebody while they're riding a ride. <laughs> it's like, is that really the best way to, you know, they'll, they'll be showing off the ride, but they'll still be FaceTiming somebody. So yeah. you're more, you're not really focused on the attraction, which I kind of... It's the whole thing as well now where so many 
parks around the world are going, you know, you need an app to reserve queues, you know, um, or whatever it is. And you're just in your phone. It's like, I would love to be able to walk into a theme park and not think about my phone. Like, yeah. I have to use it all the time for work. I have to use it all the time. I would love to be able to get away from it. And the good thing is, like, if you want a POV of a ride, just go to YouTube. Somebody with a much better camera than you is going to have gotten one in the past. And just watch that. Relive it through that. Live, you know, the theme park moments. Because 10 hours or whatever the park operating day seems like a long time, but it will fly by, I can assure you. It'll be insanely quick. And that's the thing that I sort of stand by. There's something fun. There's like a rewarding aspect about getting your own footage of a, a theme park ride, but you see people with say like GoPros in that, and they'll either stick it on yeah. their head or on their chest, or they'll have yeah, it like enough. on their hand and so be it. But a lot of the time, unless you have the top equipment, yeah. it's going to be jumpy. It's going to be jarry. And like, unless that doesn't exist and you have the sole purpose of going and getting that footage, Try yeah. and leave as much as you can at home. One of the things that really bothers me, um, especially in the ever-connected sort of world of technology, is that you start to get to a point where it's like, okay, I'm going... Let's use the example of Walt Disney World. I'm going to the Magic Kingdom. Well, I need my phone because now they need my phone to book attractions yeah. and I need to update Genie. Okay, but... I'm also in the middle of this really busy area, so my phone's going to be doing a lot of stuff with its radio aerial and that, so I'm yeah. I'm going to need a battery. So then you bring your battery along with you, and then it's like, oh, well, oh, you no. know, everyone You're needs international. Their- you need your Wi-Fi dongle. Yeah, so chuck that, that to- in. Yeah. And eventually it just becomes too much. It's like I would much prefer to just, exactly as you said, walk into a theme park, just my clothes. Like, is that too yeah. much to us? Like, clothes even and we, wallet. We'll even do it when we're doing, you know, review time filming days sometimes. If we're we're lucky enough to have multiple days at a park. Mm. The last day, we'll literally just rock up with our phone, maybe our Osmo pocket, anything we can fit in our pocket. If you can have a theme park day where you don't have to bring a backpack, that's the dream. Mm. You know? You might, get, like, carry a bottle of water or something. That might be the only thing you can't fit in your pocket or pretty much any major theme park around the world. If you really want water, just go and ask for a cup of ice water at any of them. I love that feeling of I don't need to carry anything. I can just set my phone in my pocket. I've got friends here with me. I can chat to them. I don't need to, you know, just this theme parks are all about exploring different places and enveloping Mm. yourself in different worlds. If you've got that constant connection to your real life that is your phone, it makes it really difficult to do that to me. Yeah, 100%. That's sort of the the thing that really frustrates me on a trip, I guess, is just being connected to the internet. Yeah. Because I just... And now you need to. Yeah. That's the thing as well. It's like, <laughs> oh, you want to rise, rise of the resistance? You better make sure you're up at 6.55 a.m., on your phone, in your hotel or wherever it is, constantly refreshing. Yeah. Like, how is that a, a good magical start to your day? You probably got home from a theme park at midnight. You're getting up <laughs> six hours later to hope that you can get on a ride. Yeah. In, you it, know, 12 hours after you book it. 
it just makes it so much harder to disconnect. But maybe we can discuss that more in a different episode to sort of Upcoming go over episode. our ideal sort of what yeah. we take with us in the parks and all that. We have done videos before which have been sort of us talking about what equipment we use. But at the same time, there's... I, I sometimes even don't even bother with a map. Uh, I feel for the most part, theme parks are pretty good nowadays at you being able to go, yeah. hey, that attraction looks real cool. I'm going to go over there. The only yeah. problem is I seem to find myself going back to more theme parks that I've been to nowadays. So I'm sort yeah. of becoming like my... I am the map. <laughs> yeah, and your experiences become more and more condensed that, yeah. now. I'd love to just experience some parks that I haven't been to before. Yeah, and not know. Like, that's the thing. It's like, you know, next time we go back to Universal Studios Japan, oh, we know all the good stuff. We're yeah. not going to, you know, we're going to do the good stuff. We might miss out on the stuff we don't think is worth it. But having that experience where you don't know what's good, that mystery, you don't know what this could be the best ride of your life. And you don't even know what it is before yeah. you walk onto it. Like, I'd love that experience again. And for us, those are kind of going to, you know, come from places, you know, like Europa Park or Efteling or something like that. We've been lucky enough to do most, between the two of us, most of the major Disney Universal parks in the world. Mm. Those now, to, to me at least, are the most exciting looking to where, you know, the next places I really want to go. Yeah, that's the big one for me is it's like I just want to be able to get away in these theme parks, not be, I guess, distracted by what I've done before. Because even when you experience something bad, it adds to your day. Like Especially if you're with a group. Yeah, there's been some attractions I've got off and I was like, oh, that wasn't the best thing ever in the world. But I don't think I've ever done an attraction where I've re regretted it when I got off yeah. at the end of the day. There's attractions I'll happily say I've done once in my life and never need to do it again. Oh, okay, maybe the power surge. That might be the only regretted attraction in True. my life. Uh, spin and spew style flat rides. I'm not that old, but I don't <laughs> like. I'm getting too old for that sort of stuff. You know, yeah. like I'm oh, done with that. those. I don't think I ever like those. To be fair, there wasn't a stage where I was like, yeah, the spinnier and spewier the better. But now I will go on the world's most thrilling roller coaster. But I'm not going to go on something that just spins me for six minutes. Yeah, and it also becomes that thing where like we've had some iffy experiences like Finding Nemo the musical at Animal Kingdom. But even that then becomes stuff like a T-shirt, which we have on our store, yeah. which is That's Ooh. My Dad the Musical. The musical. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, stuff that isn't great, if you're with a good group of people, can become a highlight. Mm. That's my, like, Finding Nemo the Musical, it isn't great. It's incredibly weak, especially compared to, you know, Lion King in the same park. But we probably talk more about Finding Nemo because it's become a bit of a meme mm. between us. So, you know, just because something isn't the best thing in the world, if you go with the right group of people, it can be better than something that's great. <laughs> I think even look at some of the podcast episodes that we've done and say things, things that aren't incredible, 
but a quirky stuff like space fantasy. We've been able to have talks about space fantasy, the ride yeah. for like an hour, because it is something that you sit there and go, why does this exist? And I think yeah. that's part of the fun is, you know, so long as you have an open mind about all of these things, then that allows theme parks to keep on doing some quirky stuff. Like the yeah. fact that Jaws, the ride is still around, probably a ride that doesn't need to exist but it does, oh, and I'm happy that, that it does. No. <laughs> don't get rid of it. <laughs> Look, I, I think a lot of people are in the same spot, and you even touched on it yourself, that everyone's sort of feeling like, why is this still around? Like, it is a... I, is sorry, I don't, I don't say that in a way of, like, I want it gone. I say that in a perspective of there are other ways that they could have used this land because it is on a huge plot, um, yeah. and it's Which just why a boat. They got like, <laughs> yeah, every. Like, it's a, essentially the Jungle Cruise thrilling edition. Mm. Like, that's pretty much what it is. To me, I love it because of that, because I love... I've talked about it before, These the practical effects and stuff like that. A lot of people say, oh, Universal's all screen-based rides. This park probably has some of the lowest ratio of screen-based rides. Yeah. Maybe not so much now as Super Nintendo World, but before that, it only really had... Um, you know, Spider-Man, which is arguably the best screen-based ride in the world. Yeah. Harry Potter, which some people would argue is the best screen-based ride in the world. They don't have any of the filler kind of screen-based rides like Transformers or King Kong or Fast and Furious. Mm. They've only got the, the creme de la creme, which is a very Japanese thing. Look at Disney Japan. It only has what I would consider the creme de la creme attractions. This is the same for Universal Studios Japan. Yeah, that's the thing is that when you actually look at this theme park, it's core experiences that are only dedicated to um, Universal Studios Osaka are roller coasters. There's nothing else that is like you can only experience this. Yeah, at except for stuff that USO. still only exists here now. Oh yeah, like, exa- like, stuff like Jaws, Jaws and, backdraft. and Backdraft and stuff. Yeah, you can only experience it here now. But a lot of people would have experienced it elsewhere throughout the course of their life. But, yeah, if you look at the the stuff that only exists here, it kind of is only backdraft, currently Super Nintendo, but that is coming to a lot of the other parks around the world. Yeah. And Flying Dinosaur. Oh, and, of course, Space Fantasy the Ride. Space Fantasy, <laughs> which is a roller it's more coaster. It's so. mix of attractions that makes this, in my opinion, the best single Universal Park rather than it has a lot of exclusive rides you can only get here. It's like a greatest hits album. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And you don't have to go between multiple parks to get it. But yeah, Jaws, if you haven't ridden it, get over to Japan while you still can. Every time they announce something new for this park, I'm scared that this is it. This is the end. If you look at Universal Japan, they're pretty much boxed in. Like on one side, they've got like a steelworks and then on the other three sides, they have roads. So there's not much more room to expand. So get here while you can. Uh, explore the area of Amity. It's not just the ride. They have like a whole land. There's tons of carnival games here, mm. which to me always are like, eh, I don't care for carnival games. But people here were going crazy for them. <laughs> like... There was constant lines of people waiting to play. And I remember because it, we were there during that, like, um, anime Cool Japan, I think it's called. Yeah. Event. All the prizes were, like, the anime figurines. 
and ah. people were just going wild for them. Well, I remember we experienced the carnival games at Tokyo Disney Sea, and they had some of the longest lines in the park, but they were yeah. all skill-based games. It was things yeah. like there was one where you had to roll the ball down like this really small path, and eventually yeah. we did get to a point where we could just sort of do it. It was one of those things where if you did it three times and you were likely to win the jackpot, yeah. which was just a big exclusive plush that you could only get, which I still have, and it's gigantic. It's not and behind the, the me. Other th- <laughs> the other thing is, uh, those ones, even if you lose, oh, well, you still get an exclusive pin. You can only get for doing it. Oh, yeah. and by the way, it costs $5. Yeah. Even though pins at any other Disney park in the world are $10 just for the pin. Just for like- for the chance to win a prize as well. Yeah, it was good value. I liked it because you got something no matter what. You know where yeah. you do get something no matter what, or there's something for everyone, Luke. The Wizarding Where? World of Harry Potter. Oh, oh I'm bringing it back. We, <laughs> we, we do need to do a whole episode on the Wizarding World of Harry Potter at some point. Just so anytime we get to a park that has it, we don't have to go through the same stuff. Yeah. Because this is pretty much the exact same as the Hollywood version. Yeah. The Beijing version that's about to open. Um, Singapore doesn't have Wizarding World. And it's the same as the Orlando version if you take out the new Hagrid's ride. Yeah. Like it's just the classic version, two attractions, one being, you know, the biggest ride that everyone says is the world's <laughs> greatest thing. Um, uh, what is the, what is that ride even called? Forbidden journey? Harry Forbidden Potter and journey, Forbidden yeah. journey. Like it's got some, the full title is something weird, like Harry Potter and the forbidden journey, I think. Yeah. So this one, like For context, there is a huge walk to get from (laughs) the the Wizarding World of Harry Potter entrance, as they like to call it, to the actual, like, to Hogsmeade. It's a gigantic walk. It's like a kilometre. And there's (laughs) nothing, like, there's nothing along it. It's The walk is themed to the Forbidden Forest, but no joke... Like, this is not just a, ha-ha, let's make, let's laugh about how far away, hyperbole. Mm. This is a five to ten minute walk. Yeah. Depending on how fast you walk. Where there is nothing but trees to look at. Like, oh, there's the the, the blue car at one point, you I think. You do, yeah, I will say this, you can see the backside of Jaws. You get to see a, a little bit That's of the in there. That's real reason. There's also That's like a, a little, to go. like a tiny little church. For some reason, that's like the backside of Jaws that you can see really easily oh, yeah, it's into. Like semi-themed for some reason. Yeah, um, but I once you like actually sl- yeah. get up to Hogsmeade, it's pretty much the same. Like if you've experienced Hogsmeade at any Universal theme park, <laughs> congrats, or you've been here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like to the point where you can see the entrance, which would have been to. Uh, Dueling Dragons Dragon back in the day or, or um, Hagrid's, yeah. Hagrid's. There's also a point where like there's just this break. weird walkway <laughs> that goes into a lake and then just goes to like a little area where you can go and look out. And that's a walkway at a different park. Yeah, it takes you to Jurassic Park in mm. Universal Studios Orlando. But here it, it just kind of takes you to look at the lake. Yeah. So it's kind of phenomenal how this is so like literally one to one, like they must take the blueprints and just sort of lay it over the area. 
Because yeah. I think if you were to look at any intricacies of details at this land, you would then be able to go to, like, fly to another universal resort, you would be able to probably see those same exact minute details yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, I would, like, I would honestly not be surprised if the only difference is, like, oh, well, the pathway here is one meter longer. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> like, then they've just continued that brick wall pattern. Like, pretty much everything else is the same. Uh, it has what you expect. It has... You know, the first little part that you walk in has your shops and your dining and you can mm. dine at the three broomsticks. You can, you know, get sorted into a, a house and then refuse to buy the $80 wand. <laughs> uh, not a house. You can get your wand, choose the wizard. Honey Jukes, you can buy your candy. And then you continue down in the land. They've got the little stage they use for frog choir the and frogs. for the, the sorting singing show. And then towards the back, they've got Fly to the Hippogriff on the right and on the left is Forbidden Journey. I will say... That's it. Outside, like, uh, for me, this is the only time that I've experienced the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. So I haven't been to uh, Hollywood Centered Habit. I haven't been to Orlando, which has it. There are lots of other ones which have it as well. Um, for me, this is really cool. I really yeah. like this area. I do kind of irk about the fact that it is cookie cutter because I have the mm. same concerns about, you know, if all theme parks eventually have the same things, then what's the point of going to each one? Yeah. Like, shouldn't, you know, uh, this is probably getting into a, a whole different topic and you <laughs> could spend hours talking about this, but I always stand by that thing of your theme park should be original but hold the core yeah. values yeah. of, you know, Disney. So, like, when you go to Hong Kong Disney, I think half the point of the fact that they have changed the castle and all of that is because it was that thing that you walk in. It's like, well, this is just yeah. a crap Disneyland. Yeah. <laughs> so, Especially if the thing is a worse version of something. Yeah. Like if you're building something almost carbon copy, but then it's missing a major attraction or something. So if, say if you compare the Orlando version of this to the Hollywood version or the Japan version. Well, the Orlando version has Hagrid's motorbike, cycle, adventure, magical creatures, the ride, <laughs> where none of the other versions do. Yeah. So it just makes the other versions look bad in comparison. Even though if you if you look at it from just the core of what's there, this is still a really good land. It's really well themed. It has a really, you know, great attraction and then a, a family coaster for some reason. But <laughs> the more of these you go to, and I think maybe that's why I'm a bit, I'm not bitter towards Harry Potter. I just don't love it as much as a lot of people do. Mm. And it might just be because I've been to this exact same land three different times in three different theme parks, but the first version I went to is still the best. Yeah. So the, it has diminishing returns almost every time I go and see another one. The thing for me that I love about this land is that when you experience an attraction, like say you go to Disneyland and you experience an attraction based around a cartoon that you love, you're, mm. you're on a set path through the world where the camera's been set for you, essentially. Like, you can only see things that the Imagineers want you to see within these worlds, yeah. within these attractions. The thing I love about the Wizarding World, and I think something that, you know, whenever you go with someone who's a Harry Potter fan, and for people around yeah. our age, almost everyone is, yeah. um, <laughs> the thing I love to see is the fact that you can 
run into Honeydukes. You can go into the Three Broomsticks. You can go and get Butterbeer. It's your own journey within the wizarding world. It is a world. And, like, I I completely understand your criticisms towards, say, like, even Forbidden Journey. Um, You've pointed out plenty of times that it is a... It's a ghost train. (laughs) (laughs) High-tech Harry Potter ghost train. (laughs) But I still think there's that really cool aspect where when you factor in the entire experience and the whole sort of expansive world of the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, except for... Flights of the Hippogriff, which is a junior roller coaster <laughs> for some reason, um, it does create that feeling of yeah. you walk in and it's. I would say this one even does it better because you go on that five minute walk, yeah. which is basically a, a palate cleanser from the rest of Universal Studios, and then suddenly you're within the Wizarding World, and it's like, yeah. oh, this is cool, and you do the Wizarding World things, and then you ride the Wizarding World ride, and it sort of ramps up to a point where, wow, that was a really cool Harry Potter experience, and yeah. I can see why this made Disney real scared. I don't think that they've used this to its fullest potential. And I think for some reason, Universal, they had the golden goose. It was laying golden eggs. And then they, for some reason, threw it out the window and decided to do other things. Um, (laughs) We like Nintendo now. Well, that's I have heard that Nintendo World is phenomenal. And it's one of those things that if you're a Nintendo fan, it's like, wow, this is great. But the Wizarding World is a whole different thing. I would still say, and I think a lot of people can argue, that the Wizarding World still does things better than Galaxy's Edge. And Galaxy's Edge has all of the experience from what the Wizarding Mm. World could have, you know, its downfalls, essentially. To me, yeah, the, the closest thing Disney, I haven't been to every, you know, I haven't been to Pandora, I haven't finish galaxy's edge i haven't ridden rise to me this still is the most immersive if what you're looking for in a theme park is stepping foot into your favorite film your favorite movie attraction yeah and not like you know jurassic park the ride the jurassic park area doesn't really feel like stepping into jurassic park it feels mm-hmm. like you're stepping into something based off Jurassic Park because, you know, the Discovery Center's there, but nothing else really is there as you've seen it in the film. Mm. Harry Potter feels like you're just stepping into the the movie. Yeah. The closest thing I would say to Disney has now, and I personally prefer this land, is Cars Land. But Cars Land's still an animated movie where this is live action. So this, you can get that connection more because it really does just look like, hey, this is obviously where they filmed the movie. Mm. Like, that's what it feels like. That is the thing I think that Disney got wrong. And maybe one day we could, like, we've come up with a lot of episode ideas in this, but we (laughs) should write this one down. I think we should compare the differences between Galaxy's Edge and The Wizarding World because I think that the thing that they got so close... But then it just all fell apart was the fact that they're like, we're going to create this huge, immersive, all-encompassing Star Wars land. And everyone's like, whoa. And then it's like, by the way, it's in an area you've never been to or heard of before. That's (laughs) the biggest mistake. It's like when you think of, you know, Star Wars, think of Star Wars. Oh, I can't wait to go to Coruscant. I can't wait to go to Cloud City. I can't wait to, you know. No, you can't. Why would you want to go to any of those places? Mm. Go to the place that we made up that doesn't really exist. 
Like that's where I feel. And I, I'm not saying that I hate the, uh, that I hate Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. I like what they tried to do, but I know that I'm in the minority in that regard. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I also know that it'd be better if what they tried to do, they actually succeeded in regards to that interactivity because so far you've got this amazing set essentially imagine mm. going to see a theater show and you got this spectacular set it's the greatest set you've ever seen in your world it's the most immersive set it truly feels like what you're looking at is real but then the actors come out and they're just like you know wearing a t-shirt and thongs and but they're doing you know putting on some <laughs> show where it's about you know set in the middle ages or something Mm. Like, that's what Galaxy's Edge kind of feels like. Or no actors come out. You just sit there and look <laughs> at the set for some reason. Like, that's what Galaxy's Edge feels like. It feels like you've got the best, you know, most money could buy basis, but then you didn't quite use it to the best of its ability. My, without the droids, without the walk around performers, that sort of stuff. My best takeaway that I have for Galaxy's Edge is that if you have to use a Sims expansion to try and get <laughs> people excited about your new land, you've done something wrong. Well, not just a Sims expansion, the Sims expansion, the comic book series, the novel, the VR, like a, there was the VR, VR experience. Like imagine, yeah, if you have to go through all of those things to appreciate a land, hmm. Who's really going to do that? I feel How much like do you what need they've to know done. To Harry Potter? Like, even if you've never seen a single Harry Potter, I guess that'd be an equivalent. If no one's ever seen, if you haven't seen Star Wars and you haven't seen Harry Potter, maybe that's the closest thing you'll get to an equal opinion of both lands. But as soon as you've seen, know the tiniest bit about Harry Potter you realize how much cooler it is to step foot into an actual place that exists, usually in a book or usually on screen, but now it's real. You can touch it. The thing that they did really clever, and I, I don't really know if anyone's had this argument towards the Wizarding World before. I, I haven't heard it. It's something I just thought of then. Um, but likely someone's had this discussion before <laughs> and it's come up. I think the thing that they did really clever with this is that it's not you stepping into the Hogwarts castle. You're not going into the dorms or any, like, mm. well, eventually you do, you go through that in the attraction. <laughs> um, but the area in which is all encompassing that you can walk around and do whatever you want is Hogsmeade, an area which we don't really get that much screen time yeah. of. It's something that we get to go to and it's just briefly seen but you don't spend all of your time there. So it yeah. creates this really cool aspect of you're now getting to explore something that you got to yeah. sort of see at a glance. And that's what they should have done with Galaxy's Edge in mm. saying that I think this would be better suited for an episode of its own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that, that's the big thing with Harry Potter as well. You know, apart from the attraction, it's not just exploring the Hogwarts castle, stuff like that. You have mm. to follow that through a queue. Exactly what you're saying. It's such a disconnected place. We know of it. We know kind of in general what it should look like, but not so much in depth that we can't put our own selves into that land. Yeah. And I feel that's what Star Wars tried to do on the extremity and whether or not they matched. We'll say that for another episode. <laughs> I think this is as well why we should just have a whole episode about Harry Potter, Wizarding mm. World as well, 
um, where we'll have a good in-depth discussion about Harry Potter Ghost Train because <laughs> I know you would hear it from me. Uh, but that leaves us with one land left in this park. And weirdly, when it opened, this land was themed to the Wizard of Oz and had a 45-minute version of Wicked. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't experience it, but I remember seeing like a 45-minute condensed version of Wicked the Musical where I was like, yeah. Why is uh, this at Universal Studios Japan? <laughs> yeah, so for the first year, 10 years of operation, this land was called the Land of Oz, uh, and it had Wicked, aka like the untold story of the witches, the Broadway musical, like a one-act condensed version. <laughs> Essentially, animal actors, the show where they take pets and show you tricks, they had a version of that called Toto and Friends which was essentially just animal actors. And then they had a Wizard of Oz-themed carousel. And that was the land for some reason where the park opened. Interesting. So you can kind of see why, you know, this um, didn't last that long. But I think also that only lasted for like five years. Mm. Before that, there was the Wild West show was in that area. There was like a Western-themed land. For a park that's only 20 years old. A lot of stuff has happened there. Uh, That's what, that so for those that don't know, the, the Wonderland area is basically the kids' area. Yeah, so it's now called Universal Wonderland. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, is just a catch-all for kids. Which, it, for, it, for those that don't know, uh, neither Luke or I have kids, so we're not going to really be talking about this for that oh, long. I don't know, man. Because I explored this land pretty, pretty in-depth. I don't know if we even walked inside <laughs> it, did we? I think we um we did the roller coaster here. Yeah, we got the cred, of course. Uh, but dumb, there's a I I've got some stuff to talk about in this oh, land. So this land is please. split into three three kind of mini lands. Yeah, themed to three different properties. So the first one is Snoopy Studios. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where they have the roller coaster, which is yep. inside a kind of soundstage. Yes. Um. So we did that. And they've got, like, you know, a Dumbo-style ride where you get to go on the back of Snoopy. Uh, then there's a Hello Kitty area, which I didn't I didn't do any of the Hello Kitty rides. I think there's no. maybe, like, a teacup-style ride, and there's, like, a stage show. There's also a weird parade that goes through where the costume characters just kind of dance around that happens every now and then okay. that we stumbled <laughs> onto when we were there. Uh, and then the final one is Sesame Street. Mm. Which has, which is probably half of the land. It has an, a handful of attractions, uh, but the 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 one I remember the most, and only because when we would always check the wait times, it was like fifteen minutes for Spider Man, twenty minutes for Jurassic Park the Ride, thirty minutes for Jaws, Elmo's Bubble Bubble, sixty five minutes. What is almost so Bubble we, Bubble? <laughs> yeah. So we just kept seeing this throughout the day. And we're like, almost Bubble Bubble, 65 minutes. This must be the greatest <laughs> attraction in the park. It was easily the longest wait. So we'd done everything. This was towards the end of our second day. Mm. It was getting towards nighttime. We're thinking, ah, we'll have dinner. But no, nah, let's go check out. Elmo's Bubble Bubble. Fair. So we go, it's in, it's at the very back of the land. So you have to walk past the carousel with the Sesame Street carousel. You have to walk past the Snoopy Spinner. We go inside and see Elmo's Bubble Bubble, 
the world's smallest log flume, which I think would have a capacity of about 200 guests an hour, <laughs> which is the only reason that it was 65 minutes, because literally the drop would have been about two metres. Oh, no. <laughs> is that like the it's log a- flume that we did at Nagashima Spa Land? Yeah, but about yeah. half the height. <laughs> So me and Bobby, the reason we went over at this point is because it was only a 35-minute wait. And Mm. we, before we walked in, we were like, we're doing it. We're going to get on Elmo's (laughs) Bubble Bubble because it's been over an hour all day. 30 minutes, we'll wait for Elmo's Bubble Bubble. We walked in and we went, no, we're not waiting for Elmo's Bubble Bubble. Um, They Uh. do, though, which is very Japan- they have an exclusive Muppet, Sesame Street Muppet, that only exists at Universal Studios Japan called Moppy. Who's this, Moppy. Who's a pink, like pink, really cute pink monster. Mm. But the no joke, the character is tiny, designed to be, you know, for kids. You know how like most costume characters are scary for kids because they're yeah. so much taller than they expect? This one is almost child height. Okay. And so. it has its own little land. And we were there and they were like dancing around with this character. And the kids absolutely loved Moppy, which is this pink made up character that a Sesame Street character that only exists at Universal Studios Japan, which is so bizarre when you think mm. about it. Like a purely merchandise design character. It's their version of Duffy, essentially, the Disney bear. Yeah, it's kind of like the equivalent of Stella Lou and Duffy mm. and all of those fun things. Like, I can completely understand why they do it because it'd probably make a hell of a lot of money. So, yeah. <laughs> but I think that sort we, of brings us get to the end. Shirts next time. Oh, we oh, have one to. One last thing. Oh, we, yeah. We didn't talk about it last time we are here. Number one uh, on these maps is uh, the parade, usually. So... Oh. When me and you were there, there was no parade. Oh, there was a day parade, remember? We caught it yes. outside like Terminator 2, and I cannot remember a single float. No. So that's it was between a- it was between Terminator and Space Fantasy that I remember we sort of got it caught. Started by it started there? Because yeah. there was like a little show beforehand where it was just like people doing stuff in like a square. I think it was like break dancers. Mm. I remember. And then so that, that, uh, the day parade was fine. All right, I guess. When I went back the second time, they had a night parade, Ooh. which is cool. But their night parade, we saw it between the kind of main buildings where if you enter the park and take a right towards um, the Beetlejuice show, there's like that row of buildings there. Though, if you sit in that area, they had fully projection mapped the show. Oh, wow. So... There was a part where, you know, a Transformers float. And the Transformers float is like a giant Optimus Prime all lit up because it's a nighttime parade that actually transforms into a robot. But during that, you know, when those floats are in front of you, Mm. all the projection maps are like buildings being attacked by Transformers. Oh, wow. And getting destroyed and stuff. And then, you know, there's a Jurassic Park float with a giant T-Rex and that's like all lush jungle foliage and stuff like that. And to me, it was like, oh, this is the future of night parades. Yeah. Like, and that was four years ago now. 
and nobody's <laughs> done anything close since. To me, this is we um we saw it the first day we were there. We actually, which is very rare for me. You'll know this. We bought an upcharge, which was a, a reserve viewing area for the parade. Only because the parade had debuted like an hour before, uh, like a week before we got there. Oh, okay. So we knew <laughs> we'd either have to pay 20 bucks to see this parade or spend three hours waiting to see it because the reserve viewing area was in the part where the projection mapping is. Yeah. And yeah. it's the only part of the parade route that has projection mapped buildings on both sides. Mm. I'm not sure if they still do the parade. Hopefully they do because it was, yeah, as I was saying, probably one of, if not the best night parade I've seen would easily be a toss up between that and paint the night. Like it's on yeah. that level. So if you get the chance, see it. If you get the chance, go to this park because as we are saying, it's a great park and there's a lot of cool mm. stuff around Osaka as well. Osaka Castle is awesome. You went to... Uh, Hiroshima, right? When- I did, yeah. So I went down yeah. um, a little bit further south. Uh, I yeah, also Kyoto's stopped by Kyoto and yeah. all of that. So I highly recommend. I see a lot of people who are like you've got to go to Japan and and do the theme parks. Intersperse them. Do like some yeah. theme parks, some cultural days because Japan is a phenomenal country that you really should try and get outside of some of the more commercialized parts of it because yeah. I think it's firstly more respectful to the culture um and secondly it it gives you a greater appreciation for the country as a whole yeah and that's the the thing about japan is it's not just like you know if you want to really do the theme parks and you want to really do the cultural stuff give yourself time because we've said it before the tokyo disney resort if you're crazy about theme parks four days at you know at the resort if you like theme parks you're still going to need three days you know, um, Universal, one and a half days. If you can get it, one day will allow you to do kind of the best bits. But even if you just do those two theme parks, there's, you know, five days of your travel. Yeah. You're going to need at least two weeks to do everything properly. And that's just going to give you a taster. Two weeks is a taste of Japan, essentially. <laughs> and there's so much like I've been twice. You've been twice. I would happily go back tomorrow if I could and see completely new stuff I hadn't seen before. And then I could go back next year and more new stuff. And again, and again, more and more and more and more. And one of the best is Universal Japan. So <laughs> that's the thing for me is it's like these are we've seen a lot of stuff come out recently about the U.S. theme parks, um, mostly predominantly the U.S. Disney parks. And the thing is, at a lot of the Disney and Universal Parks in Japan, you don't have to deal with that sort of stuff. It's not there, yeah. which is well, amazing. I, I would <laughs> say the only negative towards Universal Studios Japan is if you're an Express Pass kind of person, the Universal Express Pass Japan is a lot more money hungry than the US version. The US ones are like, hey, 120 bucks, which is still a lot of money. 120 bucks, you can get on everything as many times as you want for the entire day. Yeah. Universal Express Pass here is like, okay, 70 bucks, uh, but you get to go on Minions once, Backdraft, like Backdraft, literally Backdraft will be included, <laughs> Not um, Hollywood Dream once, and Spider-Man once, and that's 70 bucks. Ugh. And the only real ride that kind of gets a big weight out of those will be Minions. 
Me, you know, you'll get yeah. one ride that you need it for and then just random other attractions chucked in. Yeah. I would say that's really the only negative if you want, if you're looking for a negative of this park compared to the US-based ones. And for Agreed. someone who doesn't use Express Pass, doesn't bother me. I didn't need it because we plan trips around times that you really wouldn't need it. Exactly. And I know that there are people who can't do that, but I, I think that's a good takeaway. Anything else you'd like to say? No, I think, yeah, this, to me, as I've said it in the course of this episode, is probably the best single universal theme park in the world because it has yeah. some of those classics you can't experience anywhere. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. Well, I don't have anything else to say. So if you'd like to get into contact with me about anything we discussed in this episode, you can find me at Review Time Dom. And you can find us both at Time Review on Twitter or Review Time everywhere else. Next week, we've got I Have No Idea coming up. <laughs> <laughs> true <laughs> alright well we will be back next week with another episode and we'll see you then Review Time's theme podcast is brought to you by Luke Carroll and Dom Lacey a big shout out goes to our newest patron Danny the Girl long term patron control.org and to you the listener Review Time's theme podcast will be back next week 